Hey, tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Welcome to episode 60 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today, we've got the spotlight out and we've swung it on Mr. Stephen Otto. CEO and co-founder of Walks. Now, if you're not familiar with Walks, uh, it began life as the passion project of two guys with one simple mission, to share their love for and knowledge of the city of Rome. Now, since then, Walks has grown into a team of over 100 ground staff, and at any time, up to 600 guides operating across 13 cities across the world. It's just not in Italy, it's in the US and in other countries in Europe. Now, I was delighted when Stephen said he was up for a conversation with us all here at Tourpreneur because he is someone that I've seen speak several times at big industry events such as Arrival. I've read his interviews with uh, other websites and media. I've listened to him on other podcasts. And I read his tweets because he's been involved in the tours and activity industry for, I think, 15 years or so. So you know how much we learn in one year being in this industry times that by 15 he's got a lot of opinions on what's happening uh with the landscape with tours and i was really curious just really to find out what his story was and how he got started and how he's grown his business now also uh i asked him some some questions from our listeners particularly with regards to how did he scale to the other cities what were the challenges how does he deal with with the different seasons how does he deal with competition etc and if you join our facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook. I will come on there and ask, hey, have you got any questions for this guest or that guest, or whatever it may be? So it's a little bonus for joining our Facebook group. Um, you can find the show notes for today's episode at tourpreneur.com forward slash 60. Uh, Stephen's also a member of our Tourpreneur group. So on listening to this episode, if you've got any questions, because honestly, I probably could have gone five hours based on his years of experience in the industry. But if you have a question, something I didn't ask. If you pop it on the group, I'm sure he will come and answer that for you. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's cross over to Boston, to Stephen Otto. <laughs> so before we go into your journey of building Walks, for those who are not familiar with your company, what exactly is Walks and what makes Walks so different from other walking tour companies? Well, first of all, when Walks started, you know, we're about 10 years old now. We started as Walks of Italy. And at the time there weren't a lot of companies focusing on the customer experience, on the uniqueness of product, and on the guides, specifically on really elevating what a guide can bring to the equation and bring that to the forefront. There were a lot of large group tour operators out there, 
I grew up in a travel agency background. Travel was in my family on both sides. And so I had experienced a lot of kind of the, the big travel guided tours. And so at the time, we, one of the main things we saw that, that was an opportunity was doing smaller groups. And there just weren't many companies, certainly not in Italy, focusing on that. So that really differentiated us when we launched the company. But also that we thought the guides could really bring the tour to life and make it an experience that was so much more memorable. So whereas a lot of companies at the time really saw the guide as just one of the resources attached to a tour. We need to have a ticket. We need to have a guide, somebody standing there. We thought much more intentionally about hiring you know, only the top guides and really working with them, paying well, and developing a relationship over time that was mutually beneficial. So I think that walks, you know, over its growth trajectory has gone from being that core of smaller groups and really quality guides and these unique experiences and just taken that on the road and, and developed into many more destinations. We have specific verticals that we focus in on single attraction or multi-attraction type walking tours. Obviously, the name walks implies walking tours, but we don't just do walking tours. We also do day trips. We do cooking classes. And so we, we kind of have different thematic products that we, we develop. That's really what makes us different. I think we're, our focus is much more on the individual guides themselves that we're working with, on the product and the diversity of product and the differentiation. And we're actually much more focused on technology than probably people realize. How do you mean exactly? Well, we've been building our own technology since the very beginning. So we so actually your website and, and booking system is yours or everything that we do with technology yeah. essentially is is built in house. So back in two thousand nine when we started the company, there wasn't really an option out there. I think Tour CMS was really just getting more popular. And at the time the product that was there didn't really serve our needs the way that what we wanted to do. The intention was always there to develop something that could be utilized to launch in other cities. So that was Again, unlike many other travel kind of tour operator stories, we always went into it with the intention of building in many cities a replicable, brandable experience. And so technology was a really critical part of that. We wanted to control what was on the front end, what, what the customers would see, the booking flow, how that would happen, everything down to the email and to you know, follow up. And then to be able to manage this, you know, the operational platform to manage the business and the volume, there wasn't something really that existed, but we kind of had an idea of what, what we wanted it to look like. So we've been developing those tools ever since. And it's been a huge investment, but we now have, let's say, our own ecosystem of, of technology that really powers the whole business. And that must have been a huge investment. Yes, it's still one of our biggest expense items as a business every year. I don't recommend that be how other people go into it, but it, because of the timing of when we started, I actually have a background in technology and was particularly interested in how we could use technology to make running a, a pretty high-volume tour operation in many destinations from a remote location work seamlessly or yeah. improving the customer experience on the ground and the guide experience on the ground using technology. And, and again, I haven't seen anything quite as robust as what we have wow. out in the market. So it becomes a bit of a competitive advantage for us. But now there are so many systems out there. And I've seen a lot of them. I've done the demos and heard on your podcast uh, talking about some of them. And I think they have some great solutions. So if you are uh, you know, starting a tour company, certainly 
building your own stuff from the scratch. I wouldn't do it that way today. Yeah. I would leverage what's out there, maybe you know, invest in some technology, which I think all operators have to do one way or another. I mean, I love your website. It's very clean. <laughs> yes. The information is very clear. Yep. So our original site, which is walksofitaly.com, right. is still up and running as the Italy brand, but which is obviously a very big part of what we do. It's where we started. We were only in Italy for the first four years. And obviously, we've grown outside of that. And now uh, our global site is takewalks.com. So they all run on the same platform, essentially right. the same code base. And so that's something I, I don't know whether if we had it to do over, if I would have had started, you know, with a more of a regional name and then developed into that. I know a lot of operators are kind of grappling with that. Well, I'm Atlanta Tours. Now, can I be, how do I be global? You know, we didn't make that decision at the beginning. We started as Walks of Italy, then New, Walks of New York and Walks of Turkey, Walks of France. And then we started to bundle everything up, not till 2018, as takewalks.com, which is now the global site. So that's a brand you're trying to build. And I think that's a challenge for tour operators. Is Absolutely. That whole, you know, I, I joked around before, I don't know the difference between a city sightseeing bus and a big bus. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the route that's closest to me? What's yeah. the easiest to book? I'm not, and that's because both of those companies are very good and they, yeah. they do what they do well. How are you going to overcome that challenge of, let's say, for instance, I've taken a walks tour in Rome, I'm going to New York. How do you let people know, first of all, that you have tours available in New York? Right. So, I mean, that is part of the challenge. When we launched TakeWalks.com, you know, it is. It's out from out of nowhere. There's not really a brand platform, whereas Walks of Italy is known. TakeWalks.com is not. And so, especially in today's day and age, I think content is really important. Thankfully, we have a huge database of previous customers. Um, We use a lot of email marketing to get messaging out. But that's not really enough, I think, to launch something at scale like walks, we haven't quite gotten it right yet. It's still iterating. Uh, The brand, the voice, the look and feel of the global site is a work in progress. There's been some great work done on it recently. I'm excited to get out there this year. So really the challenge is to getting that message all the way out to the edges to to the face of the organization. And the face of the organization is the people that are actually coming into contact with our customers. And that for walks is our GX team, which is our guest experience, Mm -hmm. call center and, and booking management team who are really essential. They're the first line of business that the customers interact with. And then, of course, the, the core of everything is the guides, the coordinators on the ground. We have a extensive network of coordinators, which is an in-house business in and of itself that manage the, the departures and the check-ins and all of that on the ground. And so those are the people who are really going to get the message out. Mm-hmm. And having a, a smooth, efficient experience on the ground and a quality experience of the great guide that's where we can start to describe a bit more about what a walks experience is, why we don't necessarily think we want people who like to take tours. We like the idea of them. I like to take walks. I'm a walks person when I travel. And so when we have now enough departures and enough cities with enough, you know, product coverage, that's an easier message to share because these guides that we're hiring are already at the best of their game. They know how to give a great experience. And they also now know that they're part of a network, a community of guides who are in other cities that they can recommend. Sometimes they meet them at some of the events we've had. We've had recently a global town hall guides, kind of a virtual opportunity for us to get people together and see the growth of the company. And the idea is to really bring everyone together, make it feel like a community so that there is an incentive to say, hey, you know, we're in all these destinations now. You can have an experience like this, like you had in Rome, in New York or in Paris or London or San Francisco. 
Never miss an episode of the show. Subscribe at torpreneur.com forward slash subscribe. I enjoy following you on uh, on Twitter. And <laughs> there was a, a tweet that you uh, wrote on December 7th. I'll quickly read it out. Something truly remarkable took place over the last few days. Too much to translate into words just yet, but I'll say this. There are a few times in my life I've ever been this proud. And it was in regards to your, your conference that you had at Walks. So now you can translate into a few more words. What made you so proud about that? Well, look, it's been a huge journey. Walks has been, as I said, 10 years in the making with the intention of going to many cities, to having a core kind of focus of product and experience that we had, that we believe is the best way to approach experiential travel. And, and really to see that realized as we've grown now to you know, over 100 employees across our offices and our different destinations, 14 cities around the world. And it was a truly expiring experience, one that I you know, had a hand in, but I feel like it's really taken its own life at this point. The conference that you're referring to there is uh, we had a global conference of all the employees. We brought them all to Athens in December. It was over 120-odd people. Not only did we bring employees, we brought some guides from every market. We brought some coordinators, some of our cooking class chefs. We brought some industry people to come speak, including Douglas from Arrival and partner from TripAdvisor, a great colleague of mine who runs a food tour company, as well as a a writer from uh, the New York Times in Afar to talk about storytelling. So it was a, a really a culmination of, I think, this idea to build this business and to actually kind of see it all coming together. And, you know, it was a wonderful experience. People were meeting for the first time that had never met in person before. We really got to give guides a platform to have interviews and discussions with different parts of the business to really realize how much work goes into making a business like this run in today's environment, which is, you know, it's extremely complex. There's a lot more moving parts than I think people realize. And so, yes, I was, I was very proud to see that all come together and really went off without a hitch. So nice. uh, kudos to my team for putting that together. And Well, kudos to you as a company, because it's not cheap to fly in 100 plus people from all over the world to Athens. No, I mean, it's not. And, you know, look, we're a travel company, and yeah. we believe that travel is really the best thing that you can do with not just your free time, but if you can work and travel too. I mean, yeah. what a great learning experience. And people come to the travel industry, not because it's the highest paying career in the world, but it might be the most rewarding. So we want to really make that part of our business. And we spend a lot on travel regardless, right? So the idea is that we can either have, you know, individual people travel to different destinations, trying out tours, or we can invest more in one big event where we can really develop a lot of content where they can also experience some tours. Athens is our newest destination of the of 2019. So it was a way for us to do a little bit of that, but to actually, you know, create an experience that is like kind of what we give to our guests, an educational experience that also helps everyone kind of understand our goals and understand who we are and be connected to the mission and get to travel. So it kind of ticked all those boxes. And what is the mission of Walks? to really elevate what a travel experience you can have when you travel. So we are trying to match curious travelers with fantastic storytellers. We are trying to you know, create more memorable experiences. And people spend a lot of money to travel, yeah. right? And I think that not to say, look, there are hundreds or thousands or even maybe millions of great tours out there that people can take and experience companies. And we by no means think we have some sort of better approach necessarily to anybody. I think there's a lot out there. But what we really want to do is create a singular brand that's associated with 
great experience when you travel. So if you have bucket list items, you invest thousands of dollars to bring your family to Italy or to France or to Spain or, or to California even for a, a long weekend or, you know, there are certain things that are driving you to go there. We don't think that you're going there just to kind of hang out, yeah. you know, experience. I mean, some people do that, right? I mean, yeah. I like to just go and, you know, hang out in the city and enjoy it like local, and that's a different thing. But we're really focused on, hey, you know, you have bucket list items. You have things you really want to see. You're driven to go to San Francisco because you want to see the Golden Gate Bridge and you want to see Alcatraz. And there's these areas that are you're really drawn to, you want to take your family to, and that you want to have the best experience when you're there. And right now, I don't think there is a company that's synonymous with just that experiential component. There are a lot of travel companies, there are a lot of tour operators. But in today's environment where people say, hey, millennials like experiences, you know, not just millennials, I think everybody likes yeah. experiences and yeah. wants to have a great experience. And so what we're trying to do is provide a consistent level of great experience with the right mix of things to do and inclusions and really transparent, really upfront so that once you've had that, you want to replicate that in other destinations with other totally different attractions and maybe totally different thematic approach to tours. Absolutely. How do you think walking tours have evolved since you started in 2009? The main thing is that there is so much more diversity now in the type of product that's out there. And I think that's a great thing. I think if you're getting into tours and activities and experiences and attraction, whatever you want to call this wide, wide sector right now, it's the best time in the world to get in. Now, saying that, there are a lot of you know, complications and challenges right now. But the fact that there is so much more demand that it's much easier to start a website. It's much easier to communicate with potential customers on the internet than it has ever been. There are so many more channels that you can start to partner with and sell through. And the demand that's out there is much more diverse. People want differentiated product. I mean, you know, when I got into tours and activities specifically, it was actually 2005, I got lucky, right? It was a, a lucky chance that I happened to move to Rome and live there. And I got to see a real variety of types of tours that people were doing. And I think still today, Rome is one of the kind of hub of great tours and activities cities. And I think even has been for longer than many other cities, major tour cities out there, because there's so many possibilities, so many things that people want to do, so many experiences people want to learn about. And so that there's always been a big diversity there. I took a little hiatus from Rome in 2000, uh, end of six to 2007, and lived in, uh, in San Francisco. And there was a lot less uh, diversity. There were very few tour companies at that time. And by seeing that contrast, it really spoke to me about, uh, you know, there needs to be more companies that are doing like what's in Rome everywhere else. So I ended up actually moving right back and after less than a year and getting more seriously professionally involved with tours. So the opportunity right now in tours and activities is great. But when I started, weren't many companies doing small groups. In fact, my, my business partner and I were, were inspired by another company called Context, which is still around, great company. They were doing groups of six, uh, yeah. more high-level, elevated type of tours. And we said, you know, hey, limiting the group size makes a lot of sense. There's too many large groups out there. Nobody really wants to be in the herd of 50 people walking around a city, especially when you see the cruise ship passengers and potentially 100 or more stickers all over the place. And, you yeah. know, no one's actually enjoying these experiences, totally disengaging. Whereas when you're in a smaller group, it does put a little more pressure on the guide to bring everyone in because you can't really hide. Whereas if you're in the front of 100 people, you can just go give a talk to yourself. And you know whether they're listening or not in their headsets, behind you is not as important. If you've got 12, 
which was the number we went in with, you require a more experienced guide that knows how to work in that sort of environment. So you'll find that the guides who want to do very large group tours don't tend to work with us. It's a difference of approach and preference. And so I think that that was a stand we took and saying 12 was our group size max. And it actually stayed 12 until I think the end of 2014. We now no longer have a fixed maximum. However, our average is about 15. That's probably the biggest difference is there's so much more variety, so much more investment has gone into this space. And honestly, I never predicted that so much would have changed so quickly. And really the first three or so years when my team and I were developing Walks of Italy to then see what's really happened since, you know, in 2013, 14, 15, just all of a sudden people started talking about it. And now the last three or four years, it's become magnified even more. And it's really amazing what's happening. I'm curious to know how you come up and devise your tours. So for instance, I'm in New York City a lot. I've done Statue of Liberty to death you know, and and by state building and everything else. I'm always looking for new things to do. So I saw, for instance, you had a behind-the-scenes Broadway tour. Uh, You also had, appealed to me, was like the dark side of New York, I think a crime history tour, which I'm definitely going to take when I'm in New York City next. You know, this is so different from just, hey, we're going to take a walk around the financial district and see where George Washington had a beer, whatever it may be. How do you come up with these different kinds of, almost like insider tours, I guess? Yeah, so, I mean, we've developed a lot of, Products. I mean, different individual tours at walks, well over 250 products have been developed, maybe wow. more. You know, right now, I think we have between 150 to 170 products. There's been a lot of, you know, let's throw everything at the wall. Let's try everything. And in fact, we probably were a lot more apt to try more and more products earlier on than we are now. One thing that is critical to creating a great tour product is to actually have a conversation with your guides. You know, I think that the guides provide, like I said, they're the core of what we do and not just because they deliver the experience, but because oftentimes they're essential to actually constructing great tours, great itineraries, getting those ideas in. And so we do work collaboratively with our guides to do that. But I think that there was a specific approach, right, which is still driving the company today. And that approach was, you know, yes, there are lots of neighborhood walking tours, like you said. There are lots of, you know, financial district. Take a walk around, look at some stuff. And we didn't really want to be that because we thought and still think that that is something that's fairly easy to replicate. It's something that doesn't, in today's day and age with great podcasts like Tourpreneur and, you know, audio tours and, you know, self-guided walks and books and things, Wikipedia, you know, I mean, I'm somebody who used to walk around with my laptop until the iPhones came around with Wikipedia looking for Wi-Fi, trying to, you know, just do it myself. If you can do that, what I mean, there's not a lot of value added just by having someone do that if that's what you're doing. Now, yeah. when it becomes unique storytellers that are cre- you know, constructing a, a thematic tour, that's a different story. But there was a lot and still are a lot of companies just kind of walking people around, telling them facts about a neighborhood. And that's we knew we didn't want that. On the other extreme, there's a lot of, you know, Statue of Liberty type tours. You know, there's a lot of here, we're going to take you to the main attraction. And we wanted to do that too, but we wanted to bring more to the table. So we wanted to think a little bit more, and I like to call it intelligently design the tour. Okay, great. You go to the Statue of Liberty too. Okay, great. You go to the Vatican or the Colosseum or the Louvre too. Well, what are you going to do differently? And so Broadway, actually, you, you mentioned there is a good example where we looked out there. There were five or six walking tours on Broadway at the time. 
So we weren't going to just be another walking tour on Broadway because then what's our special angle there? We're just walk around, talk to people about Broadway. Personally, being a big you know Broadway musical fan, I said, I, I want to go inside. I want to yeah. get into a theater and actually see something behind the scenes. How do I get in? And I really wanted to do that on my first trip to New York back in 2001. My dad took me there for graduation. And I wanted to see all the shows, but I wanted to go in the theater and, and go behind the scenes and try to get on stage and go see the uh, the prop rooms. And that didn't happen. It didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And when I moved to New York, it didn't exist either. And I was working with some different people to try to organize a way to make this happen. And a lot of times in our business, it takes a ton of time to develop these products. That specifically the partnership with now Disney on Broadway, which has been great. We've run that for a number of years now. It's a very popular product for us. Um, it took two years to mm. get to a point where we had a partner was willing to work with and open on a consistent basis to be able to develop that. And that's true of many of our tours that maybe up to two years went into developing, talking to partners to get it just what we wanted to do. How did you convince Broadway then or the theaters to, if nobody else was doing this, to allow you? Because I watched the video where People are allowed to come in and touch the props and whatever else. I mean, this is something that, how did you get them to agree to that? Well, I mean, that's all on Disney first. They took a chance on this. They were doing something kind well, of like that. You say they take a chance on you, but you must have been doing something for them to be impressed by walks, to, to give that to you. I mean, I think that they saw that, you know, Walks is a, you know, a global operator, that we have a history of experience with many major attractions that we could do justice and uphold the brand that in a way that was true to what they believe in. And, yeah. you know, the people that, that we worked with to develop that idea were, you know, they just saw a lot of value in the educational component of, you know, people taking away more and feeling stronger about their shows and, and more incentivized to go to their shows if they did these experiences, not necessarily because it was a revenue driver. And that was a hard, you know, fact of it because a lot of the theaters we spoke to, which was all of them, it wasn't very obvious how this was going to be worthwhile, especially dealing with a lot of unions and so forth. So, you know, there was a chance, but there already was an experience that had kind of existed for group booking. So if you were buying 50 plus tickets to a particular show with Disney on Broadway, then that would get you access to this. So it kind of existed, which really helped. Yeah. And then to be able to serialize that is the challenge. And I think that's true of pretty much any tour. If you're trying to create a new tour, especially if it includes third parties that, you're, that aren't you, right? If it's you and your van or you and your guide, then that's a totally different thing. But if you want to include attractions or cultural sites or create an experience like that, food tours are a good example. Sometimes they have four, five, six restaurants that they're coordinating on a different daily basis, maybe having to swap them out. There's a lot you don't control there. And, uh, and it takes a lot of time just to manage that component of that. And I think a lot of the ideal is that the customer, when they're experiencing, doesn't feel that. There's no pull there. There's no, they don't sense the coordination that's happening yeah. behind the scenes. It's just like, well, of course, this restaurant will be open at 1030 in the morning yeah, yeah. with somebody here to greet me, to yeah. tell me about, you know, of course they would because the food tour comes here. But it's like, no, it didn't, it didn't just appear like that. Restaurants don't have food tour hour. You know, you have to go and you have to almost lobby them. And I think the food tour industry is one that I'm really close to. I, I'm very admiring of what they do there. And I learn a lot from that. And you're an advisor to the uh, GFTA, right? Right. That's right. So, yeah, you know, there's a uh, an organization called the Global Food Tour Association. And it's a great group of food tour operators. If you're not a member and you're a 
thinking of getting into food tours or are in food tours now. It's a great network. It's a community, really, of over 100 operators all around the world. And I've been working with them for a number of years now. Shane is a good friend of mine. He's from Chicago Food Planet, but also Food Tour Pros. And I think Food Tour Pros, which is a essentially a mentorship business for people wanting to get into food tours, some of the biggest names in food tours started there, which I think is an amazing story in and of itself. So incredible group of people, really mm-hmm. worthwhile. They actually joined up and partnered with Arrival in the last yes. Arrival in Orlando, which I thought was great. So many of these things are coming together. But unlike Arrival, uh, GFTA, number one, is hyper-focused on food tours. But number two is a continuous engagement community. You can ask questions, and I read a lot of the questions on their forum, and you can really, like, open book. Like, the operators are such a great collaborative community, which is more so than the rest of tours and activities. I think Arrival's helping with the rest, but the rest is such a wide, you know, huge sector, not as much overlap as food tour operators. So I think having that camaraderie, they really help each other out, and I'm very inspired by that. Fantastic. I wanted to move on to some listener questions. So, Jason, uh, I'm going to butcher your last name, sorry. Kucherowi. Kucherowi. <laughs> um, Urban Adventures Toronto. He said, how did Stephen scale to other cities and what were the biggest challenges to operating outside the city you know best and how did he overcome them? So, as I said at the beginning, the intention was always to scale into other cities. Starting in Rome, again, helped because you know, there's so much diversity there. We really cut our teeth and learned, you know, how to develop the program that we wanted to develop. The way we went to other cities and that we thought about other cities was really, you know, where can we provide a similar experience? Where is there already existing demand for tours? Which is, again, if you're thinking about starting a tour in, you know, uh, a little bit more uh, tertiary city, you can still have great tours there. Not to say that just wasn't what we were looking for. We were trying to go and try to be a, a large operator that was operating with a particular approach in many different cities. Again, I'm going to come back to the key is having great people. We work with locals in every destination. We have a full-time, if not two, person in every destination we're in. So we work very closely with those people. We tend to hire people who have a background in travel or some experience in the city in events or something like this. And so I think that's major because then we can kind of say, hey, here's what we've learned and here are the types of products that have been successful. And then we have an approach where we um, do a lot of analysis, a lot of research, a lot of spreadsheets are developed and looking at what's out there in the market, what isn't out there. We kind of gather information about what we know people are looking for. We look at search terms. We look at a lot of different things. And, you know, so every year we've gone out and we've looked at the market and said, well, we're where it could be the next great city for us. And we take a lot of information, actually, from our customers as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, our first city we went to out of Italy was actually New York. And the reason was that most of our customers are coming from the New York area, actually. So it seemed like, well, you know, after we did Rome, Florence, Venice, which, you know, obviously for Italy makes a lot of sense, and are still our core cities by far our highest volume, New York was, well, it's a similarly great walking city. However, that initial decision to go to New York was met with not nearly the success we were expecting. So there was a a number of years where we struggled in New York to make it work. And that's because even though we had all this experience in doing things in Italy and knowing how customers behave there, it was very different in New York. And the products we originally developed, many of them were great ideas in theory, but in practice, there wasn't, we, we didn't have the demand for that. You know, trying to match those things 
was a challenge and still are. I mean, I think figuring out how our American customers like to book tours in Europe and then try to also have them take tours in, let's say, other cities in Europe, that we kind of get. But coming back to the U.S., their behavior is, is different. So I think that, you know, our challenge has been and continues to make sure that, you know, we're reaching those customers at the right time to make sure we can have them take tours in the other cities that we offer, especially in the U.S. But really, our our destination approach has been, are there a lot of people in the city that want to take tours, mm-hmm. already taking tours, right? That's key. So we're not going to look for more uh, rural destination or something. They really have to be somewhere where there's volume because we've built this infrastructure. We have, you know, such a, a deep amount of connectivity to the sector. And so for us, it only makes sense to go into places where, you know, we can be effective at some sort of scale and partnering with a great network of locals to create the guided experiences. And and it constantly is being tweaked. And, and every season we rethink things and adapt. And there's no silver bullet to tours. I mean, you can relaunch entire product lines or, you know, redesign a product from the ground up. I've heard on your on your podcast operators that have really had to pivot for various reasons. And we do too. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, it's, you know, there are certain things that people want to do. And uh, we're not specifically in the business of trying to make them want to do completely new things. You know, there are companies who have done that. And it's amazing when you're able to come up with something that's really far flung, no one's doing. And all of a sudden, a lot of people are doing it. When you're able to do that, that's amazing. But that's harder. (laughs) It takes a long time. And so we try to stick with things that we know people want to do and then try to come up with new ways to try to do those things. And how much research do you put into a new city? Because I imagine like licensing and red tape basically in Rome is very different from, say, San Francisco. Yes, that is a challenge. Jurisdictions and red tape and bureaucracy, every city has its own flavor. You know, thankfully in the U.S., it's a little bit more liberal in terms of guiding than it is in, in Europe. No, I'm not necessarily thankfully. I think there's pros and cons. I think what Europe really has going for its, itself is a very robust industry of professionalized guiding, which I think the U.S. is a bit behind on. We don't have nearly the, you know, institutionalized guide careers that I would like to see here because it would certainly make recruiting guides in the U.S. a little bit easier. Not to say, but but we find great people and we really, um, we work with them over time and develop that organically. So yes, it is different operating in every destination. And a lot of time goes into that research. Some of that, as I said, it one of the first things we do is we hire a local person to kind of go and research those things. Okay, well, what do we need? Are there certain attractions that require certain licenses? Or are we going to need to, you know, use vehicles here? Therefore, do we need to, like, find a fleet of vehicles we work with? So there are different considerations. You know, some cities require, some attractions in some cities require local bank accounts. And we have to yeah. figure out how to set yeah. that up. And that can be a real challenge, especially in some places. So, you know, all of these are different considerations. You know, and if you're in the business of working in Europe, thinking of going to the U.S. or vice versa, there's no sugarcoating it. It's yeah. hard. It's like running totally separate businesses. Sure. What would you say you've learned in the last 10 years when it comes to hiring tour guides? What advice would you have to a lot of our listeners that they're, you know, expanding and hiring tour guides and find it quite difficult to find the right talent? And also, you know, the interview process, how can they really test someone to make sure they fit the company and they really are passionate about the theme of the tour? Well, thankfully for us, both myself and my business partner, Jason, were tour guides at one point, and Jason even more so. He really was a star tour guide in Rome and, you know, recommended by the New York Times and Rick Steves and all these things. And sort of recognizing what 
he brought to the table and recognizing certain qualities in his approach is what helped us kind of decide and devise a system for working with guides. And and we do. We we do a lot more interviews and walkthroughs and audits than probably the average company. Mm-hmm. I think at our conference I mentioned we had in December, one of the guides was asked by Douglas, you know, what is the walks process of, of hiring? He's like, you know, unlike any other company, they actually do care. They have us, you know, go and give these test tours. They follow us. They critique us. And there's a lot more of that. So I would say you know, one of the things that I really liked the idea of in the very beginning was, you know, go and, and don't just have a sit down interview, but like go and walk around, mm-hmm. let somebody talk to you right out of the get go. But don't, don't have a one on one, you know, like formal business style interview, because that's not what you're doing. You yeah. know, you got to get out there in and take a walk and listen to them talk about something that they're passionate about, which cool. is their destination, their city, see it through their eyes. And if you can kind of see that spark, then obviously you're you're probably on the right track and then you can nurture that and, and develop it. And that's how we think about it. We have a global guide manager and we have regional and local guide managers. And that's all they do. They're like talent scouts and talent managers, especially in the US. Guiding is, as I said, it's a little bit more of a gig work type of business than it is in Europe. So it's a different challenge. But I think the core is the same, right? We're looking for great storytellers. We're looking for people who are really excited about learning, people who are passionate about their destination. I think anyone in the business of tour guides and guiding has to have that. Otherwise, you wonder, you know, what they're doing it for. So, you know, having that background in guiding ourselves and bringing that to the table, knowing what we're looking for, and really it informs so much of what we do. Like I said, it it can develop the product guides, can have a hand in understanding how to amend products and to deal with customer service situations and to deal with, you know, issues on the ground. So they're so critical, the business. And so we take a lot of time to make sure we're working with the right people. Absolutely. Dan Smith of Haunted Cincinnati Tours asks in that vein, actually, in a competitive market, what measures do they take to retain their best guides and keep them working for walks? Obviously, you know, the conference and things you're doing internally help a great deal. Absolutely. What else do you do to retain your, because, you know, other companies have talent scouts as well. And absolutely. they're not the best paid sector. Yeah, no, um, I, and, and hey, I, I do think we pay better than market and, and every destination. Certainly, our goal is to be able to provide the highest volume of work. So you know, it, it's much easier for a guide to work with one or two or three companies rather than try to work with 50. You know, it's not really realistic. Guides are by default and by choice, most of the time, uh, independent contractors. They want to run their own tours, maybe have private business, maybe run some thematic tours that interest them, which I think is great and we can learn a lot from, as well as work with a few operators where they have a kind of a set amount of work that they can rely on. So we have to provide that reliable work. And I think being a good operator, you know, we're not perfect. We're always evolving. Having the right technology has been a big part of us to be able yeah. to create efficient processes. You know, a good example that I often refer to is, you know, here in Boston, you have the Freedom Trail and you have guides who get dressed up in costumes and they go stand in the middle of the park, even on cold days, waiting for groups to come together. And it's a lot more, you know, pen and paper and kind of off the cuff. So we're completely the opposite. I'm not using that experience to disparage it. It's just the way we work is much more pre-thought. Everything's done electronically. There are automated email reminders. There are, you know, guides can actually go into a portal and set their availability, change it, swap with other guides. The, the way the portal and the systems have been developed have been very much guide-centric, and we're continually evolving that. So why I mentioned that here in answering this question is that that is one of the ways that we're trying to retain guides, by making it easy to work with us. 
by having a call center, they can reach at any time to be able to work with us and fix last minute issues. I think being there, being responsive, being supportive of their goals, of their individual schedule needs is something that by having local people just dedicated to that, it gives us a little bit more there. But certainly retention's a problem. Certainly, you know, we've learned how to balance the company's priorities versus the guy's priorities versus the customer's priorities. And sometimes those are perfectly aligned and they're not always. So I think we're focused on it. And it's something that by, like you said, having the conference, having the global town hall, we run local events, either um, team building events or, you know, like hospitality engagement events for the guides, different points in the year, learning opportunities and so forth. So we try to create an environment where they feel like, you know, the company isn't just some company that they do work for and get paid from. Like that's the, the furthest from what we want to be. We want to be partnering with them to help them grow their business in, in the sense of they know they can rely on us and then they can also have more time to do more things. So like they don't work with us 100% of the time and nor do we want them to. We think that having guys that are doing many different things is great because then they can talk about that. They can talk about that, you know, they're really passionate about another subject and people love to hear their individual passions. So, and then lastly, I'd say we also provide a wider variety of product types. So if you're a bus guide, you're going to do that bus tour every time is always the same. Now you can make it your own and change it. Many tour companies in many destinations have one core product that they're offering. And Fox is not necessarily doing that. We have in every destination a variety of product and we really try to support as many of those products as we can so that the guides can take other product types. They can, you know, not just do one tour over and over every day, but we have the day trip they can take. They can get involved in a food product or some other neighborhood or something just to mix it up. And I think that having that is worthwhile to them as well. Want to connect with other tourpreneurs? Then join our Facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook. In terms of scaling to other cities, in terms of financing that, are you using your profits and reinvestment in new cities or do you go out looking for investment in order to expand? We've done both. We've not raised any money from like something we were looking at and we had some opportunities come up to do that. I know other businesses that have done that in this sector, even on the operator side. So that's great. It's great that there's interest. I know there's a lot more interest now than ever before. No, we, we've grown the business organically from the beginning. We have borrowed money to grow it, which is pretty standard, I think, for any business. So, you know, we're a pretty robust business now. We've been in business for 10 years. You know, it is a self-financed business. It's a bootstrap business. And, you know, if one day the right opportunity comes up, that could change. But to date, you know, we see so much opportunity still in the sector to not just, I mean, it's not just going into new cities, but really just looking at how much the demand opportunity is, how much people are moving more online. I think the opportunities are endless. And for us, oftentimes, trying to decide how few things to do rather than to do more. And I've talked to a lot of operators in tours and activities and hear about their different strategies or different struggles. And, and oftentimes, I constantly try to repeat, you know, don't try to do too many things. We did it too much at the beginning. We did custom tours, private tours, transfers, anything that somebody asked for, we would try to find a way to do. And over the last few years, we have paired that back. And, you know, really, in we started taking a hard line stance on, no, we just don't do that. We're not going to do custom. If it's not something we currently sell on the website, it's unlikely. Not to say we never, but it's really dialed all that back. And mm -hmm. just try to focus on a core and really build on that. 
especially when you're starting up a business, you try to be everything to everybody. And maybe that is right at the very beginning. But I think there's something to say if we had only focused on just the types of tours we were trying to do and where the core was, we figured that out earlier, we'd probably be further along today than we are. So, Cool. I want to switch gears to marketing. It's a big discussion, obviously, within our sector. So how would you say most people find out about walks? So they're looking to book a walking tour, say, in Rome or in New York. What's your marketing strategy? Well, digital marketing has been something that has propelled us from the very beginning. Again, taking a digital online first approach to the business from the very beginning has made that maybe a little bit different from other operators out there. So what I mean by that is we do not really work with any offline channels. We don't work with hotels, concierges, you know, various in-destination options. We don't have retail desks. You can't walk up and buy a ticket at our departure points. So a lot of tour companies, that's very different. We are 100% online propelled. And for the first five years of being in business, um, five and a half, we were only direct-to-consumer B2C. You buy a ticket on our website and you meet us. So, mm-hmm. And whether that was walksofitaly.com or Walks of New York, that's how it only began. Now, what propelled that growth and what, what did we use it? We were very early mover into social media, mm-hmm. into content creation. We did a lot of blogging. We worked we were very early with influencer mm-hmm. marketing. I was very involved in kind of getting to know the network of influencer, you know, bloggers and travel writers. And that became a big part of inbound awareness from different websites writing about us. So for the first few years of us being in in business, that's all we did. Mm -hmm. And really, that came out of my experience with Mm -hmm. the travel industry growing up and OTAs and all that and recognizing that, you know, you need to have your core direct business if you're an operator as a hotel, as an airline, whatever, because if you don't own your your channels, then, you know, any day, you know, the wind blows a different direction and you're at the the mercy of, of another. And so part of why we built our own technology, why we built our own uh, brand, why we built relationships with traditional travel agents was because we wanted to have, you know, people who were looking for us, for walks, for walks of Italy, for this brand, rather than just a tour that's out there. And, you know, I don't want just any Rome walking tour or New yeah. York walking tour. So that was a different approach. And because of that, it has informed us still to this day. We were also very early with Google Ads. Mm-hmm. We were investing heavily from back in 2010 and have really become very advanced in that over the years. And we have some of that in-house. We have some, we've worked with many agencies. We've done a, a lot in that area. We do a lot of retargeting. We do a lot of, you know, various platforms that we're using for performance marketing. That's all very important to us. Also, the front end of our, our site, as we mentioned earlier, is very important to us and constantly iterating on that. So, you know, it's a digital-centric approach. Today, we are really ramping back up content again. We've done a lot of video, probably more than any other operator out there. I would challenge uh, to see if, if anyone's done as much video on the operator side as we have. You know, hundreds of thousands of hours of recorded video over the years. And we still are, you know trying to find ways to use the video. There's almost every tour page we have. Most of them have videos or the vast majority. So that's important to us. And I think that is part of our future going forward is doing more content, doing more video. And so all of that's to say a lot of things that aren't OTAs and distribution. Um, where because obviously that Yeah, but our in. listeners will love that. <laughs> our listeners uh, will love that. So, so look, I think that you have to do that. You have to prioritize that. And in today's environment, I think you need to look hard at how much control you have over your site and whether or not it's going to serve you in the long term. You know, I do kind of 
raise my eyebrows at booking platforms that have fairly rigid themes on their front end, meaning you can't make a lot of changes, as well as charging your customers more than customers might pay on OTAs. I think the big challenge there is that we have to, as a sector, as operators, recognize that while there might be, you know, great gains to be had by working with OTAs, and there are, and we certainly are in that camp. We work with, we have great partnerships with distribution and OTAs and and lots of different types of companies. On the other side, you have to make sure that you're not training your customers, your potential customers and your past customers to do the wrong thing. And I think when you have price disparity between your own website and, you know, an OTA, that's a problem. And whether the OTA is doing that by discounting versus your prices and you don't have that parity, I think that's a mistake because then overall, what happened with flights could happen here, which is, or hotels. People think, oh, well, it's cheaper to buy on the OTAs. Do they think that now about flights? I don't think so. I don't think anyone thinks that the OTAs have a cheaper deal with flight. But we run the risk of that if you start building in an added cost for customers to book on your own site. So I mentioned this because I know that your listeners are looking around at booking platforms and looking around at what's the best way to invest in my direct booking channel. Because again, the ones that you control are the ones that are going to be more likely to be sticky, to be repeating year after year. And people will talk about and share the word about you and they'll come back and book on your site. And that's what you want. That'll create a sustainable business. And that's what we invested in for you know, essentially exclusively for six years. And then we started working with distribution. And again, that has been great too, but it's a very different thing and it has to be managed differently. And we think that we can get a lot of value from filling seats as a lot of these companies will tell you. It's incremental business. It's, it's incremental if that's indeed what you're doing. But if you're building a whole infrastructure of a business to support growth from those channels, then what happens when that growth stops or even worse, goes the other direction. Now you've built this infrastructure, that doesn't go away overnight. And I know some operators who run into trouble with that. So that's something that I think, you know, we should all be thinking about now. As an operator, we're constantly looking at ways to get customers back to our site, to remind them who we are. Branding better in destinations, a big part of that. Making sure that our guides are aware of that opportunity, doing referral programs with our guides and anything we can do to help to increase the likelihood that customers will talk about us and not just, you know, I booked a Viator tour. Now, people who think that they're on a Viator tour, that's great too, because they have built a great business and that it certainly provides a huge amount of business to us. So we're happy for that. So there can be both coexisting. And I think there should be just like uh, there should be a Marriott and an Expedia. There's value on both sides. We work with everyone. I think one of the the big challenges that our listeners have is the whole discovery. So let's take, for instance, your Disney on Broadway tour. People don't know that tour exists. They're not searching for it. So how do you present them with that tour? Well, that specific tour is a challenge. There are people who are looking for Broadway tours. And so the idea is that that tour will stand out amongst the crowd of the Broadway tours. And that's true with almost all of our tours. There aren't very many tours that we have that there are an existing, like I said before, there's already something that is driving people to want to go to that place. So to be able to get those tours to float up that aren't in an area, like if we were doing a more obscure kind of Bronx tour or something, it would be harder. Not to say it's not possible. And if that's what you're doing, you could do it. It would be harder for us because that's not really the way we're built. We're built for the mainstays, for the very popular things. Um, That tour had been a challenge. It took a while to really get the awareness out there to create the right experience 
and to get it eventually hooked into, you know, travel agents were promoting it. This is the thing you should do. You know, youth groups knew about it, you know, that like if they were going to go to Broadway, that they would do this tour. OTAs are a big help with that tour because, again, it helps them differentiate the product in an otherwise, you know, noisy city like New York. It does stand out. So it does take time. The relationships you have with your partners at your resellers, having relationships with direct travel agents is helpful if they're booking travel frequently to a city like New York or wherever your tour is. It helps to have those relationships. You can inform them. Just like you would inform a, a newsletter of customers, inform your, your partners, your travel agents, your resellers. If you don't have opportunities to meet them in person, at least send out an email to let them know you have a new product out there. And, and it might be better at least to do that rather than just kind of clicking to load it and hoping that it'll get sticky because it, it may not. You know, we do run promotions as well. Seasonally, when we launch new products, we always launch with a promotion, get those initial reviews in there. One of the things we've done recently is tried to improve our new product to market time. And so we've tried launching tours late in the season and to get kind of an initial test out there rather than just starting it like everyone else and in uh, March or April of the following year, which is, you know, high season is essentially April to September, October in most destinations that we work in, which is the U.S. and Europe. And in those cases, you know, we try to get it just to, to have a little bit of a chance to prep with it, to get the, you know, uh, we don't run it with as many departures, but get some early reviews in there. And then the next season, you know, we're spending a bunch of groundwork time trying to get the word out to our community, to our partners, and then hopefully that will help lift it. So, but, you know, within that blog post, social media, you know, we you name it, we try to share and get as much impressions about this before we launch as we can. And sometimes it's very successful, sometimes it's not. You know, there has to be good product market fit. There has to be a demand you're hitting that wasn't there. Because in the case of some of our tours, we've launched and we thought there was demand for a particular thing and it just wasn't there. And so, you know, the bookings didn't come and we wait a year, two years. We've had a few tours that... You know, we really believed it and thought this was going to work, and it didn't. And we we hate, I mean, no one hates cutting a tour more than I do, especially if you're, you know, a tourpreneur and, and you've built something and you've built one product and it's really great, but you have a passion, you do something else, it doesn't work. It's tough because you put in a lot of time. Certainly our, our market managers put in a lot of time and our guides and to then just kind of have it not end up being a success is, is a challenge and it's unfortunate. And we've seen that happen in, in many different ways, but thankfully there's a lot of you know, cream rising to the top, and yeah. that's what you want. How do you view Get Your Guide Originals, friend or foe? Well, we see Get Your Guide as a friend. I think they're definitely one of the fastest growing channels for us. They've been really great for us in the last few years. Certainly, mm -hmm. their investment that they've, you know, put into the industry is a good thing. I think the fact that there is someone out there attracting the level of investment they are and the level of attention into the travel and specifically tours and activity space is commendable. I like the strategy for them specifically. I think that there are a few companies in this sector that are going to be able to do what they're trying to do there. I get it. I think it's smart. If you're the right operator for them to partner with and be their originals partner, great. That might be perfect for you. It might not be. I think there's a lot of space in this sector. And what I really like is that they have shifted. I've known the Get Your Guys for a while. And in the past, I used to use the Amazon analogy. I didn't really like the Amazon analogy because no one really likes Amazon. I mean, it's necessary evil, but like as a business, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. Like they're not the company you want to aspire to be. Yeah, <laughs> and so I think that, you know, in recent times, they've kind of shifted that to talking more about Netflix 
and saying, and now Netflix, I think everybody likes Netflix for the most part. I think the content they're creating is great. However, unlike Amazon, the Netflix originals are additive. They're helping customers stay on the platform, but they're not, you know, taking eyeballs. You know, they can be theoretically taking eyeballs away from other programming, but I don't think you'll find that other production companies who have their productions on Netflix are angry that they have their own productions too. They're appreciative of the opportunity to get in front of those eyeballs. And so, you know, in recent times, Johannes has said, well, we want 50% of our bookings to be through originals. First of all, that means there's half of the business still for a marketplace, which is great. I also think he's talking about a future state when they're much bigger. Yes. So uh, if you're getting business from them now, chances are you'll be getting more business from them either way. Um, they've had originals out for a little while. So I think it's a good strategy. And I think it is the strategy that they needed to differentiate themselves from going head-to-head with Expedia and TripAdvisor because they're not going to do that. I don't believe. Now, they may try to do things more like that. I think what Viator, its you know incredible journey, really had going for it was this almost hand-in-hand curation working together with operators that people really liked that has changed since TripAdvisor bought them and changed for the better in many ways. And so I'm not to say anything about that. But there was something about that strategy when those market managers were working close with tour operators, individual tour operators, to develop ideas. And actually, I think that was a key to their success. And they have not pursued that to date. They have now shifted strategies. And I think Get Your Guide is stepping into that and saying, we'll be the tour operator partner. Yes, there is some, you know, caveats. You do have to uh, accept to to wear their brand and to uh, be truly a almost a white label for them. And that's not for everyone. Right now, it's not for us. And we've looked at it. It's not uh, what we're trying to do because we're specifically trying to brand the experience for our customers. If there was a co-branding opportunity, maybe we'd do that. But that's not what it is right now. So it's not the right fit. But again, I think it's positive. I think people are looking at it skeptically with the wrong lens. I would say that the Originals product makes a lot of sense for Get Your Guide because they are a marketplace. They are trying to learn a lot about their customers, specifically the customers who are coming and back to them over and over again, and creating a reason for them to do that. It doesn't do the industry any favors for them to get all of their customers from search engine marketing, from blowing you know huge amounts of money to Google. They want to retain those customers. The way they're going to do that is by taking those insights, distilling them into one operator, because they un- realistically, they can't partner with every single operator in the city to do this kind of a program. It has to be much more intentional. And so I think that is going to provide value to their customers, first and foremost. And sure, you know, you might have a harder time reaching the eyeballs through Get Your Guide if that's really all you're doing, but it shouldn't be all you're doing anyway. And we, as Walks, had our best year ever with Get Your Guide last year, and they spent a lot of time promoting originals, and we're not originals. So I'm not, I don't know, I don't see the reason to worry. Maybe all of a sudden tomorrow that changes. I don't think so, though, because I think it's their goal to take these large investments and to grow the size of the pie. And I think there's no one operator OTA booking platform out there that has enough market share or penetration in the industry to say that they're going to dominate the way things go. Like there's still too much opportunity. So, you know, let's not worry so much about, and I say this constantly, uh, there's all this kind of infighting amongst, uh, you know, we saw it at arrival a bit with the, the platforms and there's animosity and it's like, Guys, like everybody's still pretty small in a very big space. Let's worry in five years, you know, let's worry in 10 years about, you know, who gets what and who was the one who came up with this. And, you know, I just think there's still huge opportunity to 
to grow, to make, to own your own, you know, piece of the pie in this very big sector. And it still has a long way to go to get online at all, to even be caught up with the rest of the industry. So you could sit there and worry about, you know, what they're doing over there with their small part of the sector. But, you know, meanwhile, there's like more than half of the customers in the industry are still not finding you online yet because you haven't embraced technology or you haven't, you know, made that technology the center of how you're thinking about getting customers. And until they do that, I just, I don't think it matters who gets what and and when now. I just, I think it's the best thing to do right now is work with everybody. We take a very collaborative approach, not just with our partners from uh, the OTAs and, and, and whatever else, but also with other operators. We, we partner with the other operators. We sell each other's product. And I think that more people should be doing that. And I'm, you know, I'm surprised I don't hear more operators talking about, you know, I've got my ghost tour. Why don't you sell a food tour or somebody else's food tour? Like if you're in a destination, why not work as a network? And I think that that is the big opportunity that is still missing in tours and activities that operators, while they have all the time right now to go, there's a rival, there's a platform, they can all meet. And instead they go and they, they talk a lot about OTAs and what they're doing. It's like, talk to each other, you know, talk to each other and see how you can work with them. Maybe there's more opportunity uh, there than you, than you realize. And I think if we spend the next five years doing that, then, you know, the, the incremental business we get from other reseller channels will, will be important, but it, it doesn't have to be the be all end all. They're not going to own the internet. <laughs> like, True. It's just not happening. So uh, we don't have to worry about it. Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Tourpreneur Daily Briefing at www.tourpreneur.com. So other than having a new baby, congratulations on that. Thank what you. else? What, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> you seem very positive with the business, but what worries you? I hate to see what goes on in the the political environment in the world right now. It's like part of the great thing about travel. It is a great equalizer. It helps you see the world from an open-minded lens, and it provides such a great educational opportunity. And on the other hand, it seems to be people are better traveled than ever before, and yet there's a undercurrent of kind of reactions against that and a more you know insulated approach, which is a real shame. I see huge demand for travel grow every year. And that makes me happy. And then on the other hand, I see some of the, the effects of that, the over-tourism, the climate change, and wanting to be more part of that solution. There's only so much we can do, but we can by, by supporting local causes. A lot of the guides we work with, we are involved with causes they're supporting or the attractions and, and sustainability there and trying to spread out the demand uh, of different attractions, trying to cover more things, work with local artisans, include those in the tour. We do what we can, but it's still a challenge. It still is, is something that is worrying right now to, to see less uh, embracing of kind of world culture in, in today's day and age is, is um, you know, I, I think it's a shame. But hopefully that all uh, the opportunities of travel that have been created over the last few decades and the people that are increasing demand, millennials are traveling more, maybe that will shift. I think our job as an operator is to try to find ways to to showcase other things, to help be part of the solution. So uh, Venice is, a, is what I'm really proud of. Not only you know, are, are we very vocal about uh, wanting to change the way that cruises access the city, which are a major problem in, in the way they influx passenger volume into the city is, is a real shame. And, and the damage it's doing to the lagoon, and it's a very um, 
you know, important ecosystem unique to the world. And unfortunately, that is not really being taken care of well right now. But what we're trying to do is, is create other ways for people to see the city, looking at other things, not just the city center, but uh, taking people out to some of the other islands. Again, as an operator, we can have a role in trying to, you know, spread out where customers are going when. We can offer tours that are later in the evening or earlier in the morning um, so that people prioritize that. It also helps their experience, too. They're not in the middle of the crowds, but it helps uh, the attractions manage their passenger volume as well because they can't have every single person visit St. Mark's Basilica at 10 a.m. That won't work, right? So we have evening departures and early, early morning departures. So there are ways to address that problem. What would you say is the best business advice you've ever been given? I think honesty and transparency are really critical uh, in running a business. It has been never more clear to me than it is today that taking care of uh, the people who are running your company, the people who are meeting your customers is the most important thing you do. I think there were periods where we got away from that, uh, being a remote, you know, kind of disconnected company with people in many different cities. We have essentially 14 different offices, plus all the different uh, people that are involved. Uh, you know, a network of over a thousand people are required to run the tours that we run in all the different cities. And that, that that's a big mess. Communication's a mess. And I think just um, taking care of, of your people, being clear what you value, and sticking to that, and and whether that's with your your customers or with your partners, I think we have great relationships with our OTA and the distribution partners. We we try to just lay everything on the table. We like to share. We're we're an open book, and and I think that that all comes from this core ethos of really caring about transparency, caring about honesty, caring about other people. One of the core I think tenets of our business comes from my upbringing and comes from my background, which is hospitality. I Grew up in a, in a hospitality family. My dad was ran hotels his whole life, still involved in hotels. And uh, I worked in a number of hotels. I worked for Hilton, Starwood, Destination Hotels and Resort. And so I got to see what hospitality really was from a very young age. And, and that has become really a core tenant of our business. If you treat everyone uh, like you would want to be treated, like they were your friends from out of town, that tr- tends to trickle down and people will associate that to your brand. And I think so... That's been a part of my approach from the very beginning um, is, is making sure that hospitality core is there. And, and that's really worked well for us to, to try to instill that into everything we do. Well, thank you for your transparency and giving us uh, your, some of your time today. Uh, my final question for you is, who would you like us to feature next on Tourpreneur? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Thankfully, there are a lot of options out there for yeah. you to choose from. Obviously, I, I know who I know. I, I'd love to hear from some of the the GFTA uh, folks, uh, maybe Shane or, or um, you know, uh, some of the food tour operators that work with him. There are so many great uh, food tours out there. I don't know if uh, my friend Jack over at um, Fat Tire Tours, yes. I always loved listening to him. He was yes. a, a rival, had some great things to say. would love to hear more about what they're doing. You know, we hear a lot from, from OTAs at Arrival, but I don't know, has there been any, have you interviewed any OTAs yet? They've been a bit shy about coming on. Really? Yeah. And oh. uh, I'm speaking to a few of them right now about setting something up in February. I think their press team get a little bit worried. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's better than getting live on stage. I'll tell you yeah, that. Absolutely. Like, at yeah, least yeah. you could just push the editing angle. But yeah, yeah. I think it'd be good to hear from more of them, especially if uh, if they were listening to the, some of the shows and, and listen to Operator's Voice. What a great, if they're not, they should. Yes. Because uh, what a great opportunity to hear more about the challenges of the the, the business that they're trying to to promote and trying to be part of. So I think that 
hearing more from them on this on this platform would be great. Absolutely. We've had uh, Tua Radar came on, which was a, oh, a great. really cool episode because we interviewed on the multi day side. So you yeah. guys do both. You call, yeah, because I know Bindle was on here. That's as right. Well, as, yeah. So you've got a couple of multi days. Um, yeah. so, Why yeah, not cover it all? <laughs> yeah. And one of the things we want to do is a meet the OTA um, series and then a you know meet the res tech. And not for it to be an infomercial, but to, to speak to some of the you know the, the directors there and heads of department, but then go speak to some customers as well. So, you know, two entrepreneurs that are working with that particular platform because I, I never want entrepreneur to be oh that's like an infomercial that's a great idea it'd be also really cool if you could do a on the spot piece with customers right after they've done a tour I think that'd be kind of interesting to hear from actual tour customers do you um, know I've thought of that I've thought about <laughs> going because I go on so I'm so lucky I get to go on so many tours and I often want to take my microphone and interview people about what they thought about the tour and it's tricky because you know what I do here is B2B rather than b to see, yeah, but yeah. I have been thinking about bonus episodes. Well, the, the only other one I'll leave you with then is uh, love to hear from some tour guides, some yes. tour guides that are working for some of the companies. Like, yes, obviously happy to share. Uh, you know, uh, get get our guides uh, up here. But any any tour company, I think hearing all the different types of tours out there, there isn't one kind of guide anymore, right? That's uh, true. You have to be a specialist to really. Uh, with the type of demand that's out there today, uh, you, you could be a chef. You could be, uh, I heard, the the Wicked Weed guy. Yeah. What type like, of specialist is that? I don't I know. know, but I want to hear from them. Yeah, <laughs> no, we need definitely those uh, episodes that arrive well, we're only 10 minutes each, so yeah. we, need, we need to go the full hour on some of them. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.